0: Welcome to another Road Edition, two-in-one week of the MIA All Day Podcast. Today we jump on a quick one. Uh, Today's Road Game is sponsored by the Parent Pickup Line, as I am driving to pick up my daughter from school and about to get in the line on a nice Friday afternoon. And the reason we're doing the pod is because Josh Gaddis has officially been terminated by the University of Miami. There are church bells ringing all over the place, angels are receiving their wings, many people rejoicing. US 1 is crowded with University of Miami students uh, not banging pots and pans, but they're banging their coffee tumblers, uh, opening and closing their pop sockets, and opening, and closing, slamming the, the case, their phone cases that look like wallets, but really aren't wallets, they're really a phone case. Um, so why am I doing this? Three and a half weeks without a podcast, come back and I'm giving you two in a week, well, you know, obviously this is big news. I had hoped that this news would come out before I did my my earlier pod this week. It did not. So uh, I, I played the game, man. I ran the risk. And look at us, here on a Friday. And in, in typical, got to give it to them, in typical HR fashion, the University of Miami announces the firing on a Friday, you know, at the end of the week, so the employee cannot be disgruntled and go crazy. He's let go at the end of the week. Go home, have a long weekend, enjoy yourself. Um... You don't want to do that midweek. You don't want to do it at the start of the week. They take it a lot easier because the weekend's ahead of them. Anyway, that's neither here nor later. So why am I doing this pod? Well, specifically, uh, my man Larry from Miami Media Associates sent me uh, a tweet asking for my opinion on things because he wants the next offensive coordinator to use the team's speed, much like the 49ers do, to take advantage of this new offensive line, take advantage of the slot receivers we have, and of course, TVD coming back. And not and not have another ground what he called a ground and pound guy and and that phrase I saw that phrase a lot on Twitter by people you know expressing their what their desire is for the next offensive coordinator here at the University of Miami which is not another ground and pound guy right um, <clears throat> so first let us address the tenure of Josh Gattis at the University of Miami this is going to be a quick pod by the way I gave you 30 minutes earlier this week I'm in line to pick up my daughter I got about 10 minutes before they let me to the front of the line 10, 15 minutes before I get to the front of the line to pick her up. So, uh, you know, obviously Gattis's tenure here was not exciting at all. It was the worst University of Miami offense statistically from a points-per-game perspective since 2007 with Patrick Nix. The vaunted Patrick Nix offense that produced about 20.6 per game points per game, I believe, was the final total. Um, you know, if you calculate just FBS opponents – uh, Josh Gaddis's offense was putrid. I think it was like 19.5, 19.6, somewhere like that, points per game. Not good. Not good at all. So, um, what went wrong? Was it Josh Gaddis just having a terrible offense? Did he just run the ball three, cloud, three yards in a cloud of dust at all times? Uh, was he terrible? You know, you know, I think it was a combination of things. Number one, you know, I don't consider Gattis necessarily just a straight-up ground-and-pound guy, and not the way the University of Miami ran their offense this year. Early in the season, they were trying to ground-and-pound and and set up play-action and use that run game, which was working effectively the first two, three games of the season, even against Texas A&M, that worked well enough uh, that they were able to create some opportunities and they just couldn't capitalize. I think one of the things that happened was, you know, TBD came into the season uncomfortable with the offense. Um... But he had his security blanket in Xavier Restrepo the first couple games. And with that, he felt comfortable enough to rely on Restrepo to get him through this rough patch till he can get to the point where he felt more natural in the offense in terms of his progressions, knowing where everybody was going to be on the field and how to react to what the defense was doing. Once Restrepo went down, at that point, TVD didn't have someone he truly trusted to get the football to that he could focus on and concentrate on to help him... Uh, get past the fact that he really didn't understand the offense and didn't know where to go with the football early in the year, so the offense looked like shit. The other thing that started happening is the offensive line started to break down. Injuries along the offensive line. Uh, you know, Zion Nelson never really got on the field. And the running backs started to break down themselves. You know, you really only had two active running backs for most of the season. You know, Henry Parrish was the lead guy. Jalen Knighton stepped in uh, after – once the season got rolling – uh, those were the two featured backs. You would then have, you know, Thad Franklin on occasion take a carry here or there. Lucia Stanley take a couple carries there The walk on once he joined the team. But, you know, those guys, those running backs started to break down. Parrish was out a couple times with injury. Knighton had some injury problems, fumble, uh, Ruski problems, if we remember. But really the issue was the offensive line up front just not doing the job that they needed to. Um, and because they didn't do the job they needed to, then the offense became a little bit more pass-happy, trying to cater to TVD. It did not work early on. We had the Middle Tennessee disaster, which was not a ground-and-pound game. We were throwing the ball over the field early on in the game. If you recall, the first few three, three to five plays of the game were passes, including a pick six on TVD. Um, and what ended up happening is Mario lost confidence in the offense because of the way it was looking. Uh, eventually you end up with a performance like you did against Virginia where it was just straight up, listen, we're not going to let Jake Garcia lose this game for us. We are just going to hang in here until the fourth quarter or overtime and let it break our way at some point and we'll finish the game, which is what they did. So there were a lot of factors. Now, to be, to me, to, to be a good offensive coordinator, you have to do several things, right? First, you have to understand your scheme. You have to know your identity, what you are as an offense, what you want to implement, and how you're going to install that and implement it, and teach it to your players, right? Number two is you obviously have to be a good teacher of that scheme to your players and put them in positions where they understand their assignments and they are playing instinctively and not reactively, right? You want your players playing free and loose. You don't want them on the field trying to figure out what the hell they're doing on every play before the snap. Because if your players are stopping to think about what's going on and they don't know their assignment or they don't know uh, what they're doing pre-snap, then they're losing valuable time as they line up to identify what's going on with the defense and execute their assignments based on what the the defense is giving them, right? The next thing they have to do is be able to game plan and scheme against opponent opponent's defense to take advantage of the matchups that favor the offense, put the defense in bad positions, put them in conflict as much as possible, while also maximizing the weapons and the talent you have on offense. Now, there were several times throughout the year, I think there were a couple games where I thought Gaddis actually did a pretty good job, Um, but most of the time I think his biggest failure here at the University of Miami was I think he tried to run his scheme to the point where it was either, you know, it's, it's hell or high water, it's sink or swim, This is what we run. This is what we do. You guys are going to get it done because it's not my plays or my play calling. It's you executing. And to to a certain extent, he was correct. It was the execution because one, these guys didn't know what the hell they were doing. And two, uh, they were just so physically beat up. They couldn't execute a lot of what he was asking them to do. So in the end, what he needed to do was adjust his scheme, which you can absolutely do. You can take your set of combination of formations, plays, motions, everything you have and adapt it to better fit what you're able to run based on your available players and the available talent you have, right? Um, So for instance, let's say for whatever reason, uh, bubble screens were probably the best passing option you had. You would use that a little bit more often and you get to that in, in different ways And still use your full complement of formations and motions and things like that to get to where you want to get to with those sorts of plays. Uh, Or if outside zone is working better than any power or gap scheme that you're running, then you you run more zone, but you run it with different sort of what we call window dressing, which again is different formations, personnel packages, motions, those kinds of things. Uh, I don't think Gattis did a good job of that. I don't think he, he did a good job of identifying... You know, game to game, what was working best, what would work best going into the game, what was working best in game, uh, and and coupling that with the guys he had available to execute those plans. I, I think that was where he was lacking a little bit. I think he was a little bit stubborn in terms of the way he ran things, and it showed on offense. And again, the other thing, you know, you have to have from your players as a play caller, especially your quarterback, is trust. And I don't think that trust existed between Josh Gaddis and the players at the University of Miami on, the, on offense, I think there was uh, a lot of issues there in terms of the communication. There was not a good relationship between them, and I think Gaddis really did not do himself any favors in terms of the way he operated personality-wise within that locker. So all those things, I think, went wrong. But now to classify him as a ground-and-pound guy, and Mario too, yes, absolutely, they would prefer to run the ball first because they feel like that gives them the best shot to win. And are they wrong? Well, most people on Twitter are saying we got to throw the ball more. we got to do all these different things um, because ground and pound doesn't work. Now, what is ground and pound? Because I'll tell you this. We did not line up very often, if, if at all. I mean, we, there were a couple times, I think, in an I formation with two tight ends and one right, wide receiver, right? That was not our base offense. We were 11 personnel, one tight end, one one running back, or 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, two wide, 95% of the time. Along with, you know, if you go 11 personnel, that's one tight end, one running back, three receivers. That was us 95% of the time. Um, there was also a lot of five wide being used by this offense. And, you know, that's, that's not really ground and pound. You guys are saying ground and pound because the memories that stick out in your mind, you know, it's our conscious bias. Uh, we have these things in our brains that help us recognize patterns. Our brains are, are basically built to recognize patterns. And patterns that essentially play into our biases and our own, whether it be subconscious or conscious, into our own feelings and beliefs. And if you don't like Josh Caddis and you feel like he's going to run the ball too much, and you make up your mind about him, then that's all you're going to recognize and remember. Right? Sorry for the science lesson. But here we go. I'm going to give you some statistics that may challenge your bias, whether it be conscious or unconscious, about this offense. So I'm going to read you a, a few stat lines here from different teams. One of them is going to be the University of Miami. One of them is, and the rest, the the other five are going to be the top five scoring offenses in the country, five of the top scoring offenses in the country, uh, four of which made the playoff. Okay. So this offense was averaging 26.4 passes per game and 42.9 rushes per game. Okay. That's offense number one. This offense was averaging, just a little piggy, went to the bank, uh, was averaging 33.7 passes per game, and 35.2 rushes per game. Again, another one with more rushes and passes. This offense was averaging 32, this is offense number three now, 32 and a half passes per game, and 40.2 rushes per game. Big discrepancy there, big disparity. And again, this is another offense here that's averaging more rushes than passes. This offense, offense number four, averaged 31.5 passes per game and 35.8 rushes per game. That's number, I don't know, four or five. You guys will figure it. This offense averaged 30.3 passes per game and 37.7 rushes per game. This one averaged 32.9 passes per game and 37 rushes a game. And finally, this one averaged 34 passes, 34.4 passes, and 34.5 rushes per game, equally balanced. Okay. So what teams have I given you? I've given you stats on uh, Georgia, Miami, Tennessee, TCU, Michigan, and Ohio State. Can you guess which of those was the University of Miami? Which one of those teams, based on the run-pass split, was the University of Miami. Now, remember, none of those teams that I just mentioned, none of these stats, actually threw the ball more per game in terms of attempts than they ran the ball, right? So based on people's you know, assumptions or thought processes or if you just look at the numbers, all of these are really ground and pound teams, right? Because they're running the ball more than they're passing. How does that work? But would you classify any of those Other teams that I mentioned as ground-and-pound teams, aside from maybe Georgia, and they're really not ground-and-pound per se, they just like to use the ground game to set up big plays in the passing game, which, again, I've mentioned this hundreds of times, um, that Mario's ideal offense is Georgia. And that's why he's recruiting big guys up front, because he wants to get to the point where he could use the run game in the same way that Georgia does to be able to to create explosive plays in the passing game by occupying multiple defenders in the box and creating one-on-one matchups and also protecting his quarterback, right? Well, if you haven't guessed it by now, the team that was evenly split is the University of Miami. So for as much as we want to call Gaddis a ground-and-pound guy, and we saw all this crap go down this year, and the offense sucked, they were evenly split. It was a 50-50 run-pass situation. The only team on this list that was 50-50. the University of Georgia national champions they threw the ball 32.9 times per game which is basically 33 times a game and ran it 37 times a game okay they averaged 296 yards passing, 205 yards rushing and they got to those big plays in the passing game because of their, their, their hanging their hat on their run game and their physicality and their toughness And I think to me, it's very important to understand, as an offense and even as a defense, as a team, you need to establish who you are, your identity, your culture, not just in the locker room but on the field. What type of team are you going to be? How are you going to play? Are you going to be fast, up-tempo, no huddle, sprinting to the ball, up and down the field? Is that who you're going to be? Or do you want to be the type of team that even though you go no huddle and you do spread, that you're still going to be physical and attack up front? And I think that's what Georgia does. All right, next team. TCU made the national championship game. They averaged 30 passes per game, 37 rushes per game. And they averaged 261.7 passing, 193.3 rushing. Ohio State, one of the more explosive offenses in the country. C.J. Stroud, Heisman candidate, Heisman finalist. 31.5 half passes per game, 35.8 rushes per game. They threw for 298 a game, rushed for 192. You're seeing a pattern here. These teams, with great quarterbacks, right, they are using the run game to set up the pass game and make things easier on these quarterbacks. So, one, the reads, the progressions are easier because if teams are loading the box or trying to bring extra defenders into the box to stop the run game, You're creating more one-on-one matchups with your receivers, and the ability to read those out becomes easier. You're also creating quicker reads because if people bring pressure to try and stop the run, run blitzes, or even to try and create sacks or turnovers, you are creating quicker reads and more obvious and apparent reads for the quarterback. But if you've got a really good offensive line, you can block that and take advantage of it, which all these teams do. Next one. This is Tennessee, the one team that everybody looks to hold up as the fast-paced, fast-break, you know, greatest show on turf, throwing the ball all over the field. Tennessee averaged 32.5 passes per game. They averaged 40 runs per game. 40 runs. Tennessee is one, one of the ones with the biggest disparity. <coughs> Forgive me. I'm getting excited. Average 326 passing, average 200 rushing. OK, again, they are more ground and pound than the University of Miami. Alabama, Bryce Young coming off of Heisman, 33.7 passes, 35.7.2 rushes. This is the one that's the most close in terms of, you know, run pass ratio. And, you know, Alabama had a rough year this year for their standards and weren't able to beat Tennessee or could get into the, the playoff this year because they did not look like they normally do. If they had probably more rushes and passes, uh, a bigger ratio, then they probably would have made it. And finally, Michigan. 26.4 passing attempts, 42.9 rushing attempts. This classifies as ground and pound. Yet they were averaging 40 points a game, got to the playoff, and if not for Quorum, Blake Quorum getting injured, I think they give Georgia a run for the money. They still lose, but I think it'll be closer. So there you have it, my friends. I'm done. I'm at the front of the pickup line getting my daughter. Hope you enjoyed. Hope these stats and infos illuminated you, gave you some, uh, some enlightenment here. Thank you. Go Cams.